Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So wild and fire, Um, thinking wilderness, um, it's probably fair to say that uh, as a nation we just headed into a bit of a time of wilderness, so I think the dots connect pretty well actually. Um, If you have been around, like Vic just mentioned, yes we're in this lead up to Easter, uh, doing this wild and fire uh, series. So these first three weeks, Calvin started us off last Sunday, looking at the wilderness experience of Jesus in the desert for 40 days in the wilderness rather, for 40 days. Uh, And I'm going to talk about the 40 years of the Israelites in the wilderness. And then uh, next week, we're going to look at the 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. That's a nice, easy topic. And I think Janelle's going to pick that one up. But this idea of just connecting uh, with the story of Christ in the lead up to Easter, you know, uh, this idea of of preparation mode, entering into Lent, another rhythm that we see across the global church that just orientates us towards this, this idea of, of separation to a certain degree uh, and preparation for coming into the cross itself. And so before we get into the Israelites and looking at that, let's just pray uh, again and then we'll launch in. Lord, we, we thank you for you. We thank you for what we've just sung about. We thank you for your unfailing love. We thank you God, that your love is uh, something that can ground us and is solid for us to stand on, especially in times like this, Lord God. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd be here now just with us as a community. Uh, Lord, as we focus around this particular story of the Israelites, just, uh, just would you minister to us? Draw us to your presence. Draw us to you in Jesus' name. Now, in reality, I'm really not going to do justice um, to the story of the Israelites. Um, uh, you know, 40 years is, uh, is quite a lot to cover. And so if you, I'm going to do a dangerous thing, and I'm going to assume a bit of knowledge. Um, but if this story is not familiar to you, I really do encourage you to, to have a read of it. Uh, so in Exodus, Deuteronomy, uh, and Numbers um, is the story of the Israelites' exit um, uh, from Egypt into the Promised Land eventually uh, in Canaan. And so what I will show you, that's just a little bit of a, uh, more of a kind of getting the gist, I guess, uh, of the story. So up on the screen, this is a bit of a map, in it, but the approximate route uh, that the Israelites took in the desert. So, you know, starting up near Egypt, up on the top left there, uh, and working their way eventually through into surrounding the walls in Jericho, top right, and into Canaan, into the Promised Land. And so those of, you, those of us who are relatively familiar with the story, you know, there's this idea that you know, if you put into Google, into Google Maps, walking from you know, point A to point B, you know, the end, 142 hours, apparently, of, of, of walking time. You can literally do it. Um, and, uh, and 142 hours of walking time took these guys 40 years. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it would be fair to say that 
it wasn't the ideal trip. <laughs> it wasn't a great place for them to be. And the majority of the time of travel actually happened in the first uh, part of their journey. So within that first couple of years period, uh, they, they really do the, the vast majority of their journey. And even in the first few months, which I'll refer to a little bit later, that's where they do the bulk of it. And then they get a bit stuck and pretty much for about 38 years, they end up in Kadesh Barnea, uh, number 12 there, if you can see it on the map there. They can see the promised land, but they can't enter into it. And isn't it just sometimes the case with those wilderness experiences in our own life? You know, like that we can see the, the good bit. We can see the better bit. We can, we, we can recognize in ourselves, this is not quite the way that life is meant to be. This is, not, this is not quite the good stuff, right? And I can see the good stuff. I can see it's just over there. But for whatever reason, there is this delay. There is this, this not quite being able to step in, to cross over, to, to reach in to that promised land, so to speak. I, I don't think we need to dwell too long on the fact that we can probably all identify with a bit of wilderness in our lives. You know, Obviously, as a nation, we can at the moment. And what we're going to do as we just go through this story is we want to be mindful of where we are as a country right now, but also I don't want to neglect the fact that there will be wilderness parts in our own lives and sometimes when something big like this happens, it actually brings up to the surface even more so those things, those areas of, of, of wilderness, so to speak, that we may have. You know, if you're like me, I kind of default wilderness to that, that sense of absence from God. You know, like for whatever reason, those times that I can remember in my life where I've struggled to be able to connect with God, that, that spark of faith kind of hasn't quite kind of been there. It's like... In some way, the presence of God seems kind of distant or absent from me, right? But in reality, that wasn't the experience for the Israelites, and it's a really narrow definition of what wilderness is. For the Israelites, Again, if we are familiar with the story, we've got this, you know, this cloud, pillar of cloud by day, this pillar of fire at night. The presence of God is very much there with them, yet they're still in the wilderness. It doesn't have to be a sense of absence from God. It could be just this, this sense of there's something in your world, there's something in my life that's just not quite in that kind of in that better place sort of zone, you know? It could be the job that you feel stuck in. It could be the finances that you never quite seem to be able to get on top of. It could be the answer to prayer that just doesn't seem to come. It could be a, a situation in life that's led you into different circumstances and li life was never quite kind of meant to be that way. You've got that sense of wilderness about it. Maybe it's unplanned change in circumstances. Maybe it's a relational aspect of wilderness. Or maybe it's a character thing. That sense of God, why do I keep going back there? Why do I keep defaulting to the anger? Why do I keep, why do I keep landing in anxiety? in fear, in I thought we'd kind of been around that mountain, you know? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> you know, those aspects in our lives can be 
wilderness. That's what we're talking about. And this, the desire as we kind of track this way into Easter is that there would be this identifi- identification, this joining the dots with the life of Christ, that there would be something in it that would, that would fashion us, that would form us, that would draw us into walking through this wilderness and into this place of, of promise, so to speak. You know, even as we look at the at last week at the story of Christ Himself and His identification with it, it's like, ah, we we can journey, we can do this Lent sort of thing with you, Jesus, because you lead us forward, you you bring us with you. There will be something that we would be formed in through the wilderness, that we would be formed. Through that this event, these events over the last few days would form us as a nation, would call to the deep something out of us. And in the same sort of way in our own lives, in those wilderness experiences for us, that they would call to us, that they would form us to be more Christ-like, to allow God to fashion us into the people that he wants us to be. One little, uh, not so little, one event that I want to delve into a bit more with this Israelite story is that, that time when they're at Mount Sinai. So apparently it's only within about three months of exiting Egypt, going through the, you know, the ten plagues and so forth, crossing over the Red Sea, and here they are at Mount Sinai. Uh, we've got a Moses up the mountain, and he's having this great download with God. The Ten Commandments are happening. There's this covenant that God is reinforcing with his people. There's all this great stuff that's going on, but (laughs) down at the base of the mountain, there's a bit of a different experience that's going on. So I want to pick up the story in Exodus 32 and in verse 1. It's going to be up on the screen. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. So for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. This is the Israelites. Moses up the mountain. Panic seems to set in. Seems like, you know, it's like, oh, what's, what's going what's to happen here? He's, you know, this guy that's led us so well so far, he's disappeared. He's not coming back. Then Aaron has the pressure of the people on his shoulders and he comes up with this marvelous idea to gather the gold, to gather the jewelry from everybody and throw it into the fire and make it into an idol, a golden calf. Verse 4, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They, uh, they build an altar. Uh, they have a festival to celebrate this golden calf, this marvelous thing that they've just made. Uh, uh, this, it, it, you're just like, Aaron, what the blazes? What are you, th- <laughs> what are you, what are you thinking? You know, I, I, I really like the Bible for the sake of its warts and all. You know, <laughs> like if this was some sort of advertising campaign for a Christian life, we probably wouldn't include this bit. <laughs> you know, but this is, this is what happened. So Moses then come down, comes down from the mountain, 
Jump into verse 21. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you, that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. These people, you, you know. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave him the gold, and I I uh, threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> I, you know, I just, you know, I, I like that comical part. You know, like I must admit, it kind of reminds me of uh, you know talking to my girls. Girls, how did how did so much cereal end up on the floor? <laughs> you know, oh, I don't know. It just, you know, just uh, magically appeared. He threw this jewelry into the fire, and voila. Here is this golden calf. So following this, there is this intimate interchange between Moses and the presence of God. And it climaxes into this particular moment in Exodus 33 and verse 15, where Moses says to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? God, your presence must go with us. It must be with us. If we are to move from this place, if we were to enter into the promised land, as you help this people forward, your presence has got to be with us. And it's still a great cry, isn't it? That, Lord, we need your presence. We need your presence to fashion us, to shape us, to call us, to guide our responses, to guide our hearts. God, we must have your presence. And I think that this story gives us just some great kind of insight of what to or perhaps what not to do when it comes to you know, wilderness times, whether that be individually or, or corporately. And I just want to pull out just a few little aspects of the story and then we'll conclude and pray and then we'll have some more space together. It's kind of like that question, how do, we, how do we do wilderness well? First thing that kind of jumps out to me is that we've got to give God our focus. Perhaps the most obvious thing in this story, you know, that we've, we've got to be a people that gives God our focus. In times of wilderness experiences, that, uh, that sense of intentionality, I think, jumps to a new level, where we intentionally give God our focus. You know, we laugh at the, at the Israelites' response of pulling out the golden calf and so forth, but in the reality, I'm sure that we've all got a few golden calves in our, in our lives, those, those things that we that we default to, that we look to. You know, when life gets challenging or there is this particular you know, wilderness experience that we might be looking through and we look for a little bit of distraction or we look for a little bit of, of numbing uh, and we turn to something else other than God. It could be as simple as flicking on the TV or looking through social media. It could be turning to something that's an unhealthy habit, you know, uh, food or alcohol or, you know, more extreme measures of unhealthy and unhelpful habits 
that we default to those golden calves rather than putting our focus onto God. Intentionally, dogmatically, putting our focus onto God. And like the Israelites, it, you know, it wasn't long ago that they were seeing these miraculous things of God, yet they were wondering if he was even concerned about them. So for us, we can forget easily the things that God's done within our worlds, within our lives, and we switch back into these golden calves. But he cares. He knows the plan. He's with us and for us and wants to lead us forward, you know. Let's be a people who would give God our focus. We'd do things like this, you know. We'd gather together with one another. We'd, we'd pray. We'd worship. We'd read our word. We'd, we'd just pause long enough to allow the filtering of the Holy Spirit or the infiltrating of the Holy Spirit into our very daily walks, our responses, and so forth. If we're looking for the justice to kick in, we're looking for peace, let's look to God. If we're looking for compassion and understanding, let's look and give our focus to God. Is there a golden calf in your world that needs to be addressed? Let's choose to put our focus onto God. You know, tied into this is to look for his divine movement, to look for God's divine movement. You know, throughout this time in the wilderness, there's this movement that's occurring. And, and again, just to reference the, the Israelite story itself, it wasn't like they were um, schizophrenic in a way. You know, like it wasn't that they were moving all the time. It's just like, oh, I've got to move here, I've got to move there, got to move. No, there were actually long periods of time, particularly after those first couple of years where they're, they're actually you know, staying in one particular place because the presence of God is not leading them anywhere else. But it's that idea of just looking for the divine movement, looking for where God may be putting his breath upon his... It, it just, where is it that God might be leading us within this time and, and within our lives? Uh, the message version puts that verse in Exodus 33 like this, if your presence doesn't take the lead here... Call this trip off right now. Call this trip off. Notice where God is. Notice where love is, where he's calling you to. In our areas of wilderness, there might be that sense of, of nudge or encouragement to be heading in a particular direction. Maybe it's to seek help in an area. Maybe it's to begin a new life-giving habit rather than one of those unhelpful ones. That sense of God's grace that's just kind of resting upon something. You know, sometimes it's hard to explain or put your finger on, but there's just that sense of knowing this is a thing that's containing the presence of God. I want to move in that direction. And often those aspects, those movements of the divine, are aspects that are led by love. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's the challenge of letting love be our driver. The movement, the divine direction will be one that's led by Love, Even as Calvin talked last week in terms of the temptations of Christ, you can see the love of God come through 
Jesus' responses within that wilderness time. You know, I'm not going to test God because I know the character of God. He is love. You know, each one of those temptations, at the end of the day, love's got to win. Love must win. In your wilderness experience, in our wilderness experience, let, let's look for divine movement. Let's look for where the love of God is leading us into. And finally, for these guys and for us, just keep walking. Keep walking. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Any wilderness experience, it's got to have some perseverance about it. Gritty, dogged, determined perseverance. Standing firm in that love of God, for example. We take time, yes, to acknowledge the pain, to grieve. We give it space. But we also walk forward. We walk forward individually. We walk forward as a community. We walk forward with each other. We do things that are good to do. We continue to, to turn up, to, to be with one another, to engage, to act with kindness, to forgive. And we do it together. You know, really what I want to uh, do this morning is just, uh, I want to wrap us up pretty soon. And uh, I just want to give us some space to be able to give this wilderness, give our wilderness, your wilderness, uh, to God. And just, just really allow his presence to, to be with us and in. And I was thinking about the hands. It's like just that, that thought that the same hands that would, that would minister can also receive. You know, sometimes, we, sometimes we, we feel like we've got to have it all together before we can minister, we can help, we can reach out. But that's not really reality, is it? You know, if, any, if you've ever done that in your life, you don't have it all together. So, <laughs> so it's good for us to take these sorts of moments to, to breathe deep and reach out. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.